Welcome to Making Good Choices Podcast. I'm your host, Sarah Quazera, and on this episode, I am playing a message that I got to preach recently, thanks to our pastors at church, and um, our theme for the month was God First in All We Do, and so this message was about commitment, where I talk all about choices, so I thought it was fitting. Um, Yeah, and so our commitment to Christ, what that looks like, um, his commitment to us, what it looks like. And by the way, I'll be interpreted um, on this podcast, on this message, because at church we have interpretation. And so you can kind of get a taste of what it's like here in Uganda. So give it a listen. Our pastors are in that 1%. They're excited. They love you. And they do this for God. Let's honor them. Yeah. Man, God is good. So we honor our pastors. And I'm very honored that they let me get up here. Kind of risky. <laughs> of course, my husband also pastors me. Sometimes he has to rein me in. I say I'd rather be reined in than pushed out. <laughs> God is good. So God first in all we do. Now, I'm going to start off with words. Language is so important. When someone says something, you want to understand what they mean. Right? If you don't understand what the word means, then you might not understand the person. So if I just met a Ugandan, like when I first came here, and I said, I want a biscuit. You guys would bring me some sweet cookies. I call them cookies. And I would say, ah, but I said I wanted a biscuit. And you would say, this is a biscuit. But to me, a biscuit is bread. Nice fluffy bun. The word can mean something different. You know, it's the same way with the word of God. We have to understand what the author meant. Or else we're going to misunderstand him completely. You know, sometimes... Sometimes us as spiritual people, <laughs> we get really messed up when we say, why are those guys always on the basketball court? Why aren't they in the seat worshiping God? Can you believe it? No. Can you believe that? Why is that one always working? She must love money more than God. You know what the Bible says? You better not love money more than God. Can't serve two masters. <laughs> I'm about to deconstruct our thinking. Let's go to Genesis 2.15. Today we're talking about work. Tell your neighbor, work. Work. <laughs> I say it like W-E-R-K. <laughs> Not W-O-R-K. <laughs> Work. I know some people make fun of that. It's very funny. Now, Genesis 
God has created this garden. Actually, he's created the heavens and the earth. Man, it's beautiful. He puts Adam in the garden. And he says, I want you to work this land and keep it. Here it says tend. Another way is work. Another word is cultivate. Make it nice for planting. Now, for us to understand, if I went around and asked everybody, what does the word work mean? If I tell you to go in the garden and work, some of you might say, we're planting, we're sowing. If we don't sow, we'll never have a harvest. Some of you are saying, we have to go dig. Because that's what you've learned. Some of you say, first we have to check out the land. But guess what? I want you to say this Hebrew word. Because we're scholars in this place. Avodah. 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 You see, for me, I get to practice languages often and sound crazy. But for you, you don't get that often. So we're going to all learn Hebrew. Avodah. A-V-O-D-A-H. And in Hebrew, it's more like, ha, Avodah. <laughs> the H is significant. That original word is really what it says. Then the Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to Avodah and keep it. Do you know what that means, Avodah? This is the original word now from the author. It means to work, to serve, and to worship. To work, to serve, and to worship. Now, that same word is when God tells Moses in Exodus chapter 8, verse 1. Is it Exodus 8? I don't remember. It's whenever God tells Moses, I want you, sorry, it's Exodus 34, 21. Now, you are going to work six days. And on the seventh day, you're going to rest. Six days, you're going to avodah, work and worship. On the seventh day, you rest. It doesn't say for six days you're going to work. And on the seventh day you come to church and worship. Which that can really mess with people. Don't worry, we have God first in resting in September. We'll cover that later. Hey, you're going to Avodah for six days. That means when you are working, you're actually worshiping. When you're working, when you're washing clothes, you're worshiping. When you're selling fruit, you're worshiping. When you're playing basketball, you're worshiping. When you're selling a house, you're worshiping. If that's what God has called you to do, if that's the garden he gave you, 
If that's the garden he gave you. Now some people are working in the wrong place. <laughs> Selling drugs. <laughs> this is my worship. <laughs> that's not it. Okay? The garden that God called you to. When you're doing that. When your whole heart is there. You know the spirit of God has called you there. You hear voices. Why is he doing that? Why is she doing that? You have a degree. You went to school. Why? Are you at that church? Not even getting paid. You're there all the time. Serving. Doing what? You're serving food. You're serving the kids. But you have a degree. That degree has gone to waste. I guess what? That's the garden that God has called you to. That means you, you have to have a diet. <laughs> While you're working, you're also worshiping. Exodus 35, verses 30 through 34. This is the very first time for us spiritual people. This one is for the spiritual people. Sometimes people tell me, well, they'll come to me with spiritual things. And it's like abstract. Ah, but for me, I go to the Word. The Word changed my life. So we're looking at Exodus 35, verses 30 through 34. This is the very first time we see the Spirit of God fill someone in the Bible. And it wasn't when they were praying in tongues. The very first time the Spirit of God built someone in the Bible it's when there was a man commissioned to build the temple. Could you imagine these builders here who work every day on this wall and God comes and says I haven't put my spirit in anyone before. But you build her there in the nice orange jumpsuit. <laughs> you get my spirit. Can you imagine? It wasn't when they were praying in tongues. It's when they were doing what God had called them to do. And this guy, Bezalel, Bezalel, he was filled with the Spirit of God. With ability and wisdom. Intelligence and understanding. And with knowledge and craftsmanship. To devise artistic designs. To work in gold, silver, and bronze. In cutting of stones for setting. And in carving of wood. For working every skilled craft. This one I love. And God has put in Bezalel's heart that he may teach both he and, and the son of this person of the tribe of Dan. Do you know, I want you
want you to just imagine it. Director, engineer, he's over the project. Seiru is here. Hey, but there's this one guy in the orange jumpsuit. He just built the toilet. He gets the spirit of God in him. And he starts crafting everything. But you know what? When the spirit of God fills you, it's for teaching. The Holy Spirit is our teacher. You know in this place, the Holy Spirit is here. You can't despise our builders. He's, he's in our builders. And he only comes and does that when there's something that's never been built before. There's something being built here that's never been built before. The Spirit of God is here. So if someone comes in and says, where's the church? You point to that guy there. The, that one on the top you saw in the orange, the one with the wheelbarrow. Hey. Avoda. Tell your neighbor, Avoda. This work thing is different. This work thing is different. That's God's mind. It's not Sarah up here talking about it. But why are you just going and, and digging and carrying dirt? The world thinks that looks so low. Why, don't, why aren't you a priest? <laughs> Can you imagine? The builder goes and he tells someone, yeah, I work at the church. <laughs> I, I have a job at the church. Ah, I'm a builder. Do you know the world? Even some of us in the church, we would say, I'm a builder. I thought you said you worked at the church. <laughs> the builder is the one that has the Spirit of God. Can you hey, that's one. It, that is what's setting us off. We got it. Now, I want to talk about this. Commitment in Christ. Tell your neighbor, commit. Commit. Do you know that commitment is scary to, to some people? It's so important in the kingdom of God. But it's so scary to some people. I think about like dating. Ah, you might like somebody. You know what? He's nice. I might go out with him maybe a couple times. But for him to be like my husband, uh, he's just okay. Uh, but for me, I've been dating that one. You know, it's been around for like five years. I know I can fall back on that one. But commit. Do you know our whole relationship with Christ? It revolves around commitment. But for us, some of us are afraid of commitment. Even Jesus says, let your yes be yes and your no be no. Stop trying to confuse people. That's how I read the Bible. Hey, stop trying to confuse people. 
And I think we know why we're so afraid of commitment. Because we've we've committed to the wrong things before. Right? If you've committed to the wrong thing, raise your hand. It can even be a diet. I've committed to the wrong diet. I almost fainted. <laughs> yeah, the rest are lying. You're committed to something. It can even be the wrong job. It makes you money so fast. So you jump in. And then in your heart you feel, I shouldn't have done that. Or it's a friendship. This one, at first I thought they were cool. I made a commitment to be their friend. But now, I can't get rid of them. <laughs> and so then you're afraid to commit. But that even flows over into your relationship with God. If you're not careful, if you're not careful, Commitment means being one with Christ. Do you know, like in marriage, Ephesians chapter 5 talks about it. Even Matthew 19 talks about it. What God has brought together, let no man separate. But even in the Bible, it even says that we are the bride of Christ. Sorry, gentlemen, but you're a bride. Okay? If you hey, if we can be sons, okay? If the Bible calls us sons, you can be a bride. Okay? You go read your Bible, you'll see what I'm talking about. And John, it talks, it says we're sons. It's a spirit. The spirit of God. Now like in marriage. Jesus is saying, Yes, I want you to make a commitment to me. But it's even deeper than this physical marriage. Make a commitment. Tell your neighbor, commit. I'm not talking about commit to just anybody. I'm looking at my kids. Don't be trying to commit to something that you have no business committing to. (laughs) Right? Amen. This one is exciting. The kingdom of God is upside down. That means that the world, what the world says, the kingdom of God is going to say something different. The world says, run from commitment. In fact, you can have a few ladies. Here, you can even marry them. Just marry a few. You don't have to commit to just one. You can have as many people. Hey, you can even, you can have as many side hustles as you want. You never know what could happen. You never know what could happen. If you go in, in your garden, God has called you to. If you say yes to that basketball, you never know what could happen in the off season. You better get, get your hands in everything else. That's the world full of fear. I'm going to tell you how to combat that. Do you know our pastors are prophetic? What does prophetic mean? Prophetic means they see something that that others might miss because they're seeing from God. And it's to build us up. It's to encourage us. It's to set us on the right path. 
They're prophetic. They don't even know. They don't even realize sometimes. <laughs> Let me give you an example. Wednesday night, Pastor David was here. Preaching. He preached about the spirit of blame. He used one scripture. Pastor Amy didn't know what he preached about. The very next morning. Did y'all catch that? The very next morning, she posted that scripture. And I asked, did you have any idea? No. That's how you know they're one in spirit. Hey. They've been talking about a story in the Bible that many of us have heard about. And that one is about David and Goliath. Raise your hand if you have heard of David and Goliath. If you've heard of David and Goliath, raise your hand. I think we know that one, right? You can put your hands down. Now here's the thing with commitment. I'm going to that story. I'll be jumping around in the scriptures. In 1 Samuel chapter 16. Verses 12 through 13. <laughs> David. He was out there in the field. Being a shepherd. His brothers were in the house. His brothers were very nice. Looking. Samuel the prophet comes. And he says, There's a king I need to anoint here. But the interesting thing is, David was in the field. And so the prophet said, I will stay here until the person shows up. Because God told me that he doesn't look on the outward appearance. He looks at the heart. But these sons, they look like kings. So then the dad says, okay, you just wait. I have one more son. The Bible says he was rusty in look. I like to think he had red hair, but I don't know. The Lord said to Samuel, Arise, anoint him. This is he. And that was David. He was anointed as king. And in the very next verse, says the spirit. He, so he anointed him and, and from that day forward the spirit of the Lord came mightily upon David. In 1 Samuel chapter 16, David is anointed king. And then guess what happens? Does he go back to the palace? Does he go to the palace right away? No, he goes to the field. <laughs> right? He goes to the field. Do you know you have to have a good heart for that one? Because if it were me, and I was anointed king, I would say, oh, thank you. Let's go to the palace. Let me get my outfit. Uh-uh. For him, he was sent back to the field. So one day, you have to have a real good heart for that one. One day his dad says, You know what? Your brothers are at war. 
with the Israelites. That was their team. Like how we have the saints. They have the Israelites. And they were fighting the Philistines. Say Philistines. The Israelites versus the Philistines. This was the biggest game that had happened. But you know soldiers get hungry. <laughs> so the dad said I want you to take this bread and take this cheese in the states I call it a sandwich do we call it a sandwich here? no? a sandwich if you've ever heard of a sandwich hey take, take your brother this bread and cheese your brothers so these nice handsome men are at war David was in the field working tell everybody Avodah Avodah he was in the field slaying the bears slaying the lions hey and the dad says now you take lunch to your brothers now he goes there with his bread and his cheese he gets there do you think his brothers were grateful for their lunch? No! He got there and he sees something happen. He sees this big dude, this big man. They called him a giant. It was just one of them. One, say one. Say one. Emu. There was just one. The whole army sitting there looking at him. Just one. The Philistines were all behind this one. Hey, this is our guy. We don't have to do any work. The Israelites, they were just waiting on their one. They look at the king. King Saul said, uh uh. <laughs> So for 40 days, they are waiting, staring at this one giant. One. How many? One. They're staring at him. Do you guys have giants that you stare at? And it's just one. Do you have that? They come up in our life. And, they, and that giant that giant picked on, on all the Israelites. <laughs> he was there just trash talking. Hey, for our basketball team, I love trash talk. I'm trying to keep it Christian. Right? We have to set a standard for our trash talk. <laughs> There's always that one. That one. They say too much trash. But everyone is just looking at them. So David says, what's up with this guy? Remember, he was anointed king and the spirit of the Lord came upon him. So now we're at 1 Samuel chapter 17 verses 28. We'll start there and I'm going to be summarizing through verse 47. Now what happens? David says, this is just one guy. I got him. 
And David's like this tall. He wasn't even chosen on the team. He was in the field. Hey, you know what? You know what? For me, I'm going to come. I got that guy. That's why some of us, I love that spirit David had. But some people think it's crazy. What do you mean? You, you sit down. Hey, David's brother, David's brother said, I know what you're doing, David. He didn't even say thank you for lunch. He said, I know what you're doing. And this part gets me. I know the presumption in your heart. Has anyone ever told you they know your heart before? David didn't even speak back. <laughs> he was focused on his job. Say avoda. Avoda. He was focused on taking out that uncircumcised Philistine. Everyone else is, is saying, I know what you're doing. Even Saul, the king, said, you can't take out this guy. Even the king. And David is on his team. You can't take this guy out. And other people. The Bible says other people, they were also discounting him. But in, <clears throat> I love this. 1 Samuel 17, 47. We're on verse 47. I want you to help me David says, now this, this is the spirit that God gave us, by the way. 1 Samuel 17, 47. It doesn't matter which version you read of this. You'll see the same word. Let me show it to you. Then all the assembly shall know. This is David talking. Hey, I'm going to take down this guy and then everybody will know that the Lord does not save with sword and spear. For the battle is the Lord. And he will give you he will give you into our hands. You see, this is the issue we have with commitment. Do you know how many people just trash talk David? And he comes up and says, God will give you, did he say, into my hands? He said, into our hands. There might have been one giant. But there was one David. And what happens is, David, he doesn't, he tries to put on Saul's armor. By the way, don't try to be other people when you're fighting a battle. That's the dumbest thing you can do. Don't try to be other people. You've been appointed for the battle, and God wants to work through you. He already sent Saul there, and Saul was too scared to fight. Now it's David. David, he says, I don't need your armor. You see, I, I've been avodying in the field. I've been working and worshiping. The same God, 
that took down the bear. And that took down the lion. He's going to take down this uncircumcised Philistine. Now, y'all are amening, but y'all might have a real problem with commitment in just a minute. He goes, he takes five smooth stones. Do you know how many starting basketball players there are on the court? You basketball players, hold up your hands. How many? How many, how many people start? Five. Five smooth stones. You know, our pastors are prophetic. They gave this word about a month ago. Even about our team. For us, we have the stones. <laughs> we have to stop putting on Saul's armor. We take the five smooth stones. You know, I can imagine the stones in the bag. Pick me, pick me, pick me, pick me. Pick me, pick me. Ah, they're going to pick all of us. No, they're going to pick one. <laughs> David is going to pick one stone. No, pick me, pick me. The stones are jumping. <laughs> he puts his hand in the bag. He uses one smooth stone. Say one. How many? One. He picks the one. He takes the slingshot. He lets it go. And it hits. That uncircumcised Philistine right in the head. The guy falls down. I'm sure the earth shook. Boom. The Philistines are saying our one is down. The Israelites are saying is this your brother? Is that your brother? I'm sure they're saying yeah that's my brother. Uh-huh. You know how people are. <laughs> and then he goes over. Goliath is not dead. Sometimes we knock our giant down. And then we keep moving. No, Goliath wasn't dead. He said, I'm going to take this. I'm going to take your own weapon. Sorry to be graphic, but then he cuts off the head of Goliath with his own weapon. <laughs> All of a sudden, he becomes a hero. Now, all of the Israelites, remember, he said that God will give you into our hands. David is the one that took care of it. Now, now that he was victorious, everyone jumps on the team. We win, we win! (laughs) Because of the one. What if David would have stopped when he heard the voices? And those were even his big brothers. I know your heart. What are you doing here? The king what are you doing? You can't take that guy. What if he would have stopped? What if you stop? Because you hear somebody's voice that God didn't send. What if? 
Aren't you glad David kept going? Because guess what? He became what we call a type and shadow. Now we're getting in the Bible. He became a type and shadow. It's like a preview of what's about to happen. Turns out, he was just representing. He was just representing another one that would make a commitment. In Philippians chapter 2, I want to tell you about that one. In Philippians chapter 2, I'm going to pull this up myself so I can read this. How many people have their Bibles today? You have it on your phone? Hey. Philippians chapter 2. I'm going to start at verse 6. Let's see if you can guess who it is. Who, though he was in the form of God, did not count it equality with God a thing to be grasped. Even though he was anointed king, right? Verse 7, but he emptied himself by taking on the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly, highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord say one one say one this one. Do you know? We are just like David's brother. <laughs> just like King Saul. We're just like those religious people that, that told Jesus when he was here in Matthew 12, 24 that he was of the devil. That he was of the devil. In Matthew 12, 24. Can you imagine? They told Jesus that he was from the devil. Yet in 1 John chapter 3, verse 8, the very purpose he was here was to destroy the work of the devil. But now they're calling him the devil. Aren't you glad he didn't stop? There's a commitment that Jesus has for you. He has a commitment for you. Even if people called him the devil. Even if people said, I'm going to kill you. He said, I might have been king. But now I'm going to get on the donkey. I'm going to choose a crown of thorns. And I'm going to go to the cross. I'm going to die. And you know I'll be raised again, right? <laughs> Say God first in doing. Hebrews 12, 2. We look unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. Who for the joy set before him. Because of you, 
He endured the cross. He despised the shame. They were trying to shame him. Who are you? Even his family didn't believe who he was. He despised the shame because for the joy set before him, it was you. He is reaching out his hand to make a commitment He says, hey, let's make this commitment. You know, Jesus did a lot in three years. He started his ministry at 30. At 33, that's when he was crucified, buried, and, and resurrected. He did a lot in three years. But we don't see him rushing. <laughs> Jesus only did what his father told him to do. You never see him running somewhere. Ah, let me run. I have a lot to do in three years. That's my personality. Ah, let's go. I have a checklist. If I don't get finished, oh, it will be so bad. But in John, in John, it's chapter 17, the end. John says, if I were to write everything Jesus did, I wouldn't even have enough space. Hey, let me tell you a story. You know, when, whenever we commit to Christ, challenges don't stop. Hardships do come. But how we handle them is through him. It's not Sarah going and trying to fight Goliath. It's Jesus through me that can make me say that uncircumcised Philistine is finished. <laughs> it's not me. If it were up to me, I would be right back with those guys my husband always says, he, quote, he quotes Ecclesiastes. The race is not into the swift. I don't know if you guys remember. But there, we had a, a football match. The Saints. Saints basketball versus Saints football and us. Now that one. My husband, he always says the race is not to the swift. Remember, Jesus, he didn't run. <laughs> to his assignment. So my husband's playing on the team. And I'm just praying. Of course I care about the basketballers. But my husband, he's on the other team. Okay? Commitment. Say commitment. Commitment. As much as I love the saints. So then my husband... You don't see him running all around. He goes and he stands <laughs> right by the goal <laughs> in a certain position. This game was intense, y'all. The pictures that we have from that game, people's legs were above their heads. <laughs> they were kicking people in the face. They were drenched in sweat. My husband's standing there like this. And I'm grateful. I'm like, I don't want him to fall down. I want him <laughs> to enjoy. Let me not put my fear on my husband. <sighs> so we're watching. He's at this end of the field. I'm at that end watching. All of a sudden, 
Someone kicks my husband the ball. He's the oldest one on the field, by the way. My husband does a little kick. Right in the goal. Right in the goal. He does a flip, a somersault. And I scream. I run from there to there. I'm the number one cheerleader. Do you know? And I even tried to get some of y'all to scream too. And y'all looked at me like. That was a big deal. Do you know? That's how this life in Christ should be. Actually, the Bible says we are in a fight of faith. But when we're in the right garden, when we're in the right position, the ball will come to us. All we have to do is a little bit. We position ourselves. We trust God. We kick the ball in the goal. We take down the giant. We cut the giant's head off. David didn't charge at the giant. He took the smooth stone. You know, that smooth stone, by the way. We can relate to that. I know in basketball and in football, we have the player of the game or the player of the match. What about the other four? The stones that me, what about the ones who are on the bench? You know, in Christ, it's that one. He handled it for all of us. Some of us have a problem committing to him. Because you're like me. When I was in school, I had a class project. I did all the work. But guess what? Everybody else in the group wanted credit. It wasn't right. It wasn't fair. You know that's how it is with Christ. He did all the work for us. The Bible says that we are more than conquerors. In Him, in Romans 8, we're more than conquerors. That's what it means. Some of us were like, ah, what do I have to do? Before I make this commitment, tell me what I have to do. Will I have to get on the cross? That sounds extreme. Maybe. Honestly. <laughs> you might have to. Will I be shot for being a Christian? Maybe. Jesus is so clear. Yes. He's so clear. He tells us exactly what we're getting ourselves into. In John chapter 6, verses 53 through 58. You know, we took the communion earlier. The blood and the body. You know, Jesus, he stood up in front of a bunch of people. And he tells them to be my disciple. Like to be my follower. To be the one who learns from me. Walks with me. You have to eat my flesh. And drink my blood. 
Some of you will think that sounds like a cannibal. You know, I, I heard of those people. You, have, you can't go there in the nighttime. They will eat you. Some people thought of that. But some people had a revelation. He means we take on everything that He's taken for us the stripes, the beatings, the blood that was shed. We, we believe that what He did brought us freedom if we can believe that that one person would cover all of us and we still want to follow him that's commitment but guess what most of the people they walked away they left Jesus they left can you imagine these people have been supporting you you tell them to make a commitment hey that could be us today honestly ah, I've been doing the, I've been doing what I'm supposed to be doing I've been following Jesus I go to church I pray with my mom at 9pm at night I pray over my food bless the cooks bless the eaters Jesus is asking you to make a commitment to believe everything that he's done for you and to walk with him people left him and this is what I love he turns to Peter he says are you going to leave too? That sounds like something I would say. <laughs> Are you leaving too? Peter says, where would I go? You know, I tell our pastors that sometimes. Sometimes things can get too heavy and too crazy. And they joke. Ah, let me go on an island. And I say, I'm coming with you. <laughs> where else would I go? If you're in Christ, where else would you go? I love to tell people three words. If you know me because you're my family, then you know what three words they are. Make good choices. I love to tell people that. I used to tell people that when I was a teacher. My students were crazy. I had to tell them. They can't fall back on me when they make a dumb decision. I told them, make good choices. Do you know the word decision? It originates in a Latin word. And it means to cut off. It means you cut off everything else. You cut off everything else. When you made a decision for Christ, you cut off everything else. In Luke chapter 14, verse 26, this one is a strong statement. Let's pull it up here, yeah. If anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, and his own life also, he cannot be my disciple. That sounds hard. <laughs> I don't know about you. I had to do some research. 
That word hate. Remember, we go back to the original language. It's a very long Greek word. And it means to love less. If you don't love these people less, it also means to esteem less, like to honor less. If you don't, in other words, if you don't have God first and everyone else beneath, then you cannot be my disciple. But you know what's very interesting here? He goes through all the important people. Your mother. Some of you have even been disowned by your family. Some of your stories, another faith you've been disowned people don't like you anymore they think you're a crazy Christian lunatic and you're like but that's easy my family's already left me I don't even have family that's too easy but then Jesus puts and his own life how many of us can say we'll hate our own life to follow him in other words, to decide to cut off our plans, to cut off our mind on something, to cut off the mind of the voices that said they know our hearts when they don't. To follow him, we have to cut those things off. You know, God is good. There's so much that comes in commitment with him. The Bible says in, in Romans 12, 1. You can pull it up if you have it. I want you to be able to go with me. Okay. I beseech you, therefore, brethren. <laughs> by the mercies of God that you present your bodies a living sacrifice holy and acceptable to God which is your reasonable service some people do a lot of sacrificing ah here's the goat here's the chicken you know I'm even going to bring the hair of my stepdaughter mm. we're going to sacrifice but God calls us to be the sacrifice and not a dead one a living one the issue with a living sacrifice is that we can get off the altar right it's living it's not like God an, another way to say it is we're not a dead sacrifice God doesn't decide for me that I'm going to serve him everything I'm talking about today is a choice that you make it's a good choice and to be a living sacrifice it means that you choose to go up to Jesus and you say everything is less important than you. You are the one. The what? The one. Because of you. You know he even died for all the voices that talk about you? Can you imagine? The people you don't like. The people who've really betrayed you. You know what? Because of you, Jesus. 
I decide to cut off everything else. And in the next verse, you'll see. The Bible tells us to renew our minds. Renew your minds that you may be discerning. You can't discern the will of God if you haven't first said, I'm a sacrifice. Out of the relationship with Christ, out of the commitment with Him, and I'm going to wrap up here. There is so much more that I could say because I love to talk. <laughs> keep, it, keep it nice. This thing of commitment. It's not like you dating someone. It's like you becoming one with someone. You becoming one with Christ. Out of the relationship comes power. Out of the relationship with Christ, it comes power. Power to excel at your job. Power to make the right commitment. You'll know who your spouse is. You'll know your spouse. You won't go making wrong commitments to people. No. Because you'll know the voice of God. You make a commitment. You'll see all of a sudden you become diligent. Apart from Jesus, you can do nothing. And this is God first in all we do. To take down your giants you have to be in him if you're there you'll be striving sweating working hard on the wrong garden no avoda for you yours is just work and so I, I want to invite people anyone who wants to give their life like seriously you want to commit your life to Christ you say everything else is beneath you and I choose you I choose you guys I hope that you enjoyed the message I so enjoyed preaching if you couldn't tell and I'm so grateful to our pastors for giving me the opportunity, really, and taking a risk on me to preach. Um, but it was so amazing, and I love that God led me to the scripture about hating your family, hating your own life. Um, I thought it was kind of weird at first that I had that so strongly in my mind when I was planning for the message, um, but then afterward, there was a Muslim lady, a, a mother of three, um, who came and gave her life to Christ. She said she was so scared to give her life to Jesus because of the persecution that she would face. But she did that day. She made a commitment. And so I'm so grateful to God. I'm so grateful to the Holy Spirit for using people. Um, I'm just so grateful. So God bless you. Make good choices. We'll talk soon.